Good morning. Today is Sunday, August the 20th, 2017. We're at the Fount Church in Fountain Valley, California through the Bible Sunday School class. We've been studying Proverbs. We're going to pick it up at chapter 22, verse 10, with uh, Dennis Olson opening us in prayer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful day that you brought to us this time of fellowship together. Lord, as we're in this class today, let us open our hearts to your word and learn the lessons that Vicki has taken the time to study and teach us about. Lord, we just give you uh, the thanks for the facilities that we have here and all that you've blessed us richly with. And Lord, again, we just uh, thank you for Vicki's uh, work here in this class and the lessons we learned. May we adopt these lessons, take them home with us today. We ask this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Verse 10, chapter 22. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. I don't think that that verse needs too much explanation. I think many organizations have had strife and quarreling because of a scoffer. We all know what that feels like. He loves purity. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. And actually, the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking of that passage was Nehemiah chapter 2, with how the king so responded to who uh, Nehemiah was. Um, Well, at chapter 1, we know that uh, Nehemiah heard about where Jerusalem was at and how uh, there was a remnant who survived the exile. They were in great trouble and shame. That's 1 verse 3. And then at uh, chapter 2, um, Nehemiah uh, approaches the king, taking up his wine at verse uh, verse 1. And it says, now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king picked up on Nehemiah's countenance right away and said, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? The fact that a king would care about one of his servants, especially one that was an exile from a country that they had conquered, there had to be something about Nehemiah that stood out to him. And he said, this is nothing but sadness of heart. And then Nehemiah was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? It took a lot of courage, really, to say that. We can hardly understand kings and slaves because we have a democracy. But you couldn't say certain things to kings. To approach a king and to say, you're conquering my country has brought me great sadness. And that's basically what Nehemiah was saying. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Obviously, Nehemiah's words and his demeanor was gracious to the king. And then I love this next verse. Actually, in this book on prayer that I'm reading by Spurgeon, he comments on this verse when he's talking about exclamatory prayer and how you can pray just in a moment. Because he said, when the king is talking to you, you can't delay that long. But it says that Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven, and then he gave his response to the king. If it, is, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, which he obviously had, 
that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Please, king, send me back to the nation you conquered, that I may reverse your conquering. <laughs> Isn't that basically what he was saying yeah. to the king? And the king was open to it. Yeah. Didn't want Nehemiah sad about how the nation had been conquered. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, so they're in agreement, how long will you be gone and when will you return? Already assuming that he was going to take his leave of the king. So we know this was none other than God himself working on behalf of his remnant. But Nehemiah obviously had, had found the king to be his friend. So that's one way to look at it. You know, approach people respectfully and it will probably go better with you. But I think there's another way to work, look at verse 11. And verse 11 could be seen in our relationship to Christ. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, as his friend. Remember Jesus, before he knew his time had come, told the apostles, I call you no longer servants, but friends. It's one of the later chapters of John. So I think that's another way to look at it. But you can gain the favor of one in authority by how you are. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he who overthrows the words, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. But he overthrows the words of the traitor. Um, God really does protect the knowledge of himself in the world. No matter what happens or how bad it is, can never stamp out the truth of Jesus Christ, Son of God and Savior. Um, we sometimes despair when we see the world becoming more and more ungodly. But I think of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, after he'd had the showdown with the priests of Baal. And he's kind of in that frame of mind that I'm the only godly one left doing the Lord's will. At 19, 1 Kings 19, <clears throat> and um, remember he went and um, came to a cave as he's fleeing Jezebel, and um, let's see, where do I want to start? Well, there's a beautiful little passage. He said he went a day's journey at verse 4, chapter 19, 1 Kings. He went a day's journey in the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree. I know what those are, actually. We have some in our neighborhood, broom trees. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under the broom tree. So there's some despondency for you. And an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Now remember what Jesus says to his disciples. I have food to eat that ye know not of. Remember David said, In the presence thou layest a table before me in the presence of my enemies in Psalm 23. The scripture is replete with this is spiritual nourishment in your time of trial and affliction and trial, trouble. 
And so he eats this food, this heavenly food. He rose, ate, and drank, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. That's some serious nourishment. That's how the Word of God can nourish us, too, in that kind of way, with that kind of strength. Then he comes to a cave. Verse 9, he lodges there, and the Word of the Lord comes to him and says, What are you doing here, Elijah? So the rest of the chapter is really great about how he hears the Lord in the still small voice. Do you remember this part? He comes with the wind and the fire. And then, um, let's see. Um, At verse 14, when the Lord asks him again, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Paraphrase, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and even I, only I am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And if you fast forward to verse 18, the Lord says to him, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. So when you're feeling alone and you feel like I'm the only one battling the warfare here, the Lord says, uh-uh, I got 7,000 other ones fighting too. And um, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge. He overthrows the words of the traitor. So you have to have confidence even when you can't see. Remember Elisha and his servant? Elisha could see all the angels of the Lord on the horizon. And his servant said, hey, I don't see that. <laughs> God always has a provision even when you feel like it's not there. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Excuses, excuses, excuses. <laughs> I can't go out there and till the soil and do my day's work. Oh my gosh, there's a lion out there. Oh, shut up and get to work. <laughs> I love how some of these proverbs are just dropped in. There's kind of a heavy one and then one where you go, yeah. But I think that the sluggard is brought up multiple times in um, proverbs. And I think that we have to guard against slothfulness. It's really easy to slip into just the whatever. <laughs> so a sluggard, you know, don't go there. Don't be making excuses for not working. The mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. You lose the protection of the Lord when you turn towards sin. When I was a young girl and I would read the epistles and Paul would say to flee sexual immorality, I would think to myself, why is he writing this to the churches? Aren't the people in the churches moral and the people outside the churches are immoral? <laughs> this is what I thought. I was pretty innocent. The Lord probably went, yeah, she'll find out. <laughs> But anyways, um, I love this part about the Desiring God ministry, John Piper's ministry, because he is hitting this one on the head right now, sexual immorality in the church, and that if you do not flee it, you will not see the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. The scripture is clear about that. 
we cannot suffer just acceptable amounts of immorality. There is no acceptable amount of immorality. Yeah, I only look at Playboy once a month. What? This is one of the biggest things afflicting our young men today, mm -hmm. today is internet pornography. <clears throat> it's affecting their GPAs at colleges and everything. They are enslaved to it and it's right there. Click, click, click. What could be easier? So we have got to recognize if we choose that path, I mean, it's like we have to be safe. Somebody has to pluck us out of the net. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. I wish we had more sermons that they used to call hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> Those are really good sermons because people almost don't believe that today. We are just so suckled in our own deception that we're good people and we aren't depraved and evil. I think we have to preach that we are evil. Mm -hmm. And we so easily go to these things and lust is a huge one. Our whole nation is afflicted with it right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when the, um, all the scandals in the Catholic Church broke, that was a horrible, horrible thing. And many Catholics were very scandalized by it mm -hmm. to find out what the priests were doing and that. I actually just found out about a year ago that my that my brother had been approached because he was an altar boy. I had no idea. I so lived in my cocoon. Mm -hmm. He said to me, Vicki, don't you remember when I stopped being an altar boy? I said, not really. I guess I just thought you were too old or you weren't going to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But he said, I ran. He said, I hit him and then I ran. Yeah. And um, so there's... You know, it, it, it's, and Satan loves to expose the man of God who's given to lust. It's one thing for the out and out pagan to be in lust, but when there's a, a, a man of God in lust, well, he yeah. loves that one yeah. because somehow he thinks that he, it weakens the gospel, but it also hurts a lot of little, uh, small sheep. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a client that would not go back to the Catholic Church. He was so upset about what had happened and what had been come to light. And of course the cover up and then they couldn't do the cover up and that made the church look even worse that they tried to cover it all up. But I heard here in Orange County that they had some kind of a diocese forgiveness or whatever where the everybody came together and decided they were just going to forgive the clergy and let there be reconciliation and forgiveness from God, which I thought was good. As long as the church leadership deals in a biblical fashion with what the Bible says you're supposed to do. But it's a big problem in churches today. The youth pastors being found having relationships with youth and all kinds of stuff are happening right now. You know, and the mouth of the forbidden woman. The forbidden woman might be a virtual woman these days yeah. on the internet. You know, however they can adjust the image to make her look pretty much perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> they actually believe that men are losing interest in their wives because there's no um, there's no human person that can be as perfect as an internet woman. Yeah. Um, and then of course from there the pornographers actually take them down very devious roads to all kinds of um, perverse sex. <laughs> It starts with heterosexual sex, but then it just uh, goes bad from there. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And um, 
we have this uh, verse 6 in the same chapter. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Children need to be guided. They're like little sheep, and their parents are their shepherd. And, you know, in Augustine's time, the Catholic Church came to teach that we are born in original sin. But it's actually the truth. That's the terminology they gave to it. But the truth is that we have a corrupt nature, and it's woven into us. And the little ones we birth have it woven into them too. Mm -hmm. And when you look at your newborn little baby, when I looked at John Matthew when he was in his little crib, it's hard to imagine him being defiant, disobedient, and given to wickedness. But that's woven into his little nature. And it will show itself. First time it probably shows itself is the terrible twos. Right? The terrible twos. And this is the folly that's in the heart of a child. It must be accepted. And I think today the world tries to say that that's not there. And so children are given a lot of carte blanche. You'll see, you'll see uh, families in the grocery store and you'll see parents trying to reason with the child. I'm thinking, this child is like my bird's bird brain. You cannot talk sense to it. Its brain is too small for it to understand. Stop screaming. And the child can't be reasoned with. He's a child. He's bound up in his folly. And we're commanded to discipline our children, not to discipline them in wrath. But we are to train them because they will go off the path because they are born in corruption just like we are. This is what I'd actually like to see churches preach more. We must be Mm -hmm. saved. We actually, so many Christians think they're good enough to be saved. Mm -hmm. That's truly what they think. (laughs) Yeah, the blood of Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like their hearts are not corrupt. Even the best has a corrupt heart. Mm -hmm. And some children are more given than others. Mm -hmm. And you'll see parents in great pain over what they've dealt with with their children. And um, probably have some parents here who have had difficult things to deal with. But that's because we are born in folly. And Mm -hmm. we have to submit to the loving hand of discipline. And even God himself disciplines us. We've had this passage multiple times in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 7. Hope I have it right. Nope, that's not the passage I wanted, but it is Hebrews. I think it is chapter 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Every trial, every trouble that comes our way is to, is to clean something in us that needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. If we could really see that, we would say, thank you, God, for this trial. Thank you that I have to endure this so that I can truly be your son, your daughter. It takes a long time to see your trouble in a good light. And 
I was listening this morning while I was getting dressed to Laura's story. I love her music. If you haven't heard it, you can find it on the internet. She's got a beautiful testimony because she um, she was a known worship leader, got married, and then her husband, very soon after they were married, was found with a brain tumor. And he did come through it, but she wasn't sure he would. Um, a lot of people were supporting them in prayer, but kind of some cute things she testifies about. You can hear you can hear her testimony um, online. Um, when her husband came to, he didn't recognize her right away and didn't know he was married. So uh, they told him he was married to Laura Story, and he goes, "I am. That's great." <laughs> But he later did remember her. But what a trial when you're first married. But she talks about how he sees the hidden parts of us in her lyrics. And he wants to change those inner parts of us. And the biggest way we get changed is this enduring of his discipline. And his discipline can come in many forms. It can come with financial scarcity. It can come with sickness. Children that stray. Jobs bosses, where you live, the jobs you've been sent to do in ministry. There's many ways that God will refine as silver is refined. So when he's refining, it's best to say, you see the inner parts of me, Lord, and you know what I need. The rod of discipline will drive things I do not need, like folly, far from me. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. The scripture is pretty clear in multiple places that the Lord watches out for the poor. And whatever and whoever the Lord cares about, we should care about. Okay? Um, Luke chapter 14 you learn a lot of the character of God from reading the Proverbs. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you have a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Sometimes I think the Lord stays his hand and is merciful to our country because there are a lot of folks with means who are giving heavily to the work of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And um, the Lord keeping that channel open so that that provision can go out. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. Now, this is a turn in um, Proverbs from chapter 22, verse 17 at this point to 2434, which I think is the end of chapter 24. Uh, Solomon will exhort his readers. Previously, a proverb would be stated and the application is, is kind of assumed that the reader will be left to the reader. So this is the first one here. Incline yourself to God's words. This is his first exhortation. Hear the words and apply your heart to my knowledge. 
I think even in the order in which Solomon will present these is so important because I think for the believer, one of the most important things is that he is a serious student of the word. You cannot be strong in the Lord and the power of his might without your sword. Knowing it well, being versant in it. Um, last week, um, there was an email from Desiring God about memorizing the scripture that you need to have the scripture so close in your heart that it's always coming off your lips. I don't even know how to arrive there, but strongly encouraging that the word be memorized. So I thought, hey, I can memorize a verse here or there. I kind of decided I'd try once a week to memorize something. It was so inspiring, this um, exhortation by John Piper. But the, the Solomon here says, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. Colossians 3.16, I think I actually wrote that down. May the word dwell richly within you. Colossians 3.16 that your trust may be in the Lord, that your trust. So that's the whole purpose. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. To have trust in the Lord requires faith. To have faith requires the word. So I don't see any other way out of it. Yeah. Christ is our example. And how did he live life? He's the power of the word. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness and he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights, it is written. He almost quoted solely from Deuteronomy. Now, he might have had a scroll out with him in the desert. It doesn't say he has a scroll out with him in the desert. But if he didn't, how did he repeat those words? He must have memorized them. He must have known Deuteronomy well enough that he could bring it forth in his hour of trial. I know we're out of time. Maybe trusting in the Lord is exactly where we should end today, that your trust may be in the Lord. So the first exhortation is to apply your heart to knowledge. It will be pleasant if you keep it within you and you will grow in your trust in the Lord. And that's exactly what you need to get through this life is trust in the Lord. So let's see here. Bill's going to close us in prayer. We got a short session today because of choir practice. <laughs> Father... I thank you today for this beautiful day. Father, thank you for this lesson and for the clarity that, that Mickey brings to thy word. The insights are very much appreciated and loved. Father, be with us as we go forward today. Take care of us. Take care of our loved ones. In thy name we ask. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to Bible study verse by verse with Vicki Mulak. For more of these podcasts and some resources, please go to our website at www.biblestudyvbv.org. O-R-G. That's www.biblestudyvbv.org. V is in Victor, B is in Boy, V is in Victor. The VBV stands for Verse by Verse. .org, O-R-G. There you can register and contact us, or just leave a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thank you.
This is George Mulek.